Hello and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast with your host, Ben Granis. I am excited that you're back and listening. I have an awesome episode for you today featuring Amanda Batty, who is a former professional mountain bike racer specializing in the downhill discipline. The Eyes Up Life podcast was formed after I completed a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving and digital wellness. I wrapped that up in September of 2022, and shortly thereafter, I started out on a 6,000-mile road trip to interview 21 athletes and affiliates of Maxxis Tires, great tire company. Check them out, maxistires.com. These people that I interviewed are all professionals in their field, ranging from off-road racing to mountain biking to photography to media folks. So really cool people. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and please make sure to check out afterwards the four, we're now at episode five, the four previous episodes. And stay tuned for a great uh, great episode here with Amanda Batty. So a little backstory here. Amanda wasn't actually on my original list of folks that I was interviewing, but when I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a friend that I was staying with suggested that I stop on over at the local bike shop, which is a co-op called the Bike Coop, because the owner there is really awesome. So I went in with camera in hand and asked if I might be able to uh, interview uh, the owner who I happened to be talking to right when I walked in. And she, being Amanda, was a little bit hesitant at first, uh, which she references in our conversation. Um, But it ended up being that she uh, is a former Maxis athlete. So it worked out really well. What I was going into thinking was just going to be a conversation with a fellow lover of bikes and cool person ended up being those things plus a Maxis athlete so fit in really well with the project and uh, was a great conversation so I think you'll really enjoy this one Um, not much more to say but uh, (laughs) you'll hear sounds of uh, her lovely dog who was at her feet the whole time Um, so don't get distracted by that but uh, enjoy the enjoy the chat and uh, we'll talk a little bit at the end enjoy bye-bye all right so if you could start Amanda just by introducing yourself your name and where you're from uh, so I am Amanda Batty, and I'm here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, yeah. Did you grow up here? Or? Uh, no, I moved here six years ago from uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And where are we? What is this uh, shop? So this is our this is the bike shop. Uh, this is the bike coop, and then we're currently sitting in the bike co-op, which is in the back of the bike shop. So it's kind of a business mullet. And what's your role here? I am the owner. How did that come to be? Um, I got involved here about three years ago, and then a couple years ago during the pandemic, the other owner decided to retire, and I bought the shop, and yeah. How long have uh, bikes been part of your life, and how did that how did that happen? Um, pretty much my whole life, since I was a little kid. You know, you take, took a break from it as a young teenager, um, came back to it um, in my late teens, 
and then uh, yeah, started racing and everything else. What did you race? What's your what was your career like? Um, I was a former professional downhill racer. Can you tell uh, folks who maybe don't know what downhill is what uh, what that sport is like? It's essentially like um, if you took if you combine skiing and motocross, but then you took away the engines and the skin suits, um, full face helmets. That's kind of what downhill is. What? Uh, how'd you get into that sport? Um, I was a I was a snowboarder, and then I started skiing. And I was coaching, and I needed a summer sport. And going uphill wasn't appealing, um, and so I wanted to go fast. So downhill it was. How did your career go? Um, pretty success? yeah, yeah, pretty well. Um, I raced professionally for ten years, and then in 2018, I retired after a um, a pretty pretty bad lower leg injury. What happened? How did you get through it? Um, I crashed. At, I crashed the morning of finals at US. Uh, nationals in Snowshoe, Virginia, and I uh, destroyed my right leg by overshooting a jump. And was that, did that kind of mark the end of your professional career, or did you get back on, on it? Um, I've kind of, it's funny, I, I've kind of, I've, I returned to racing last year just kind of for fun um, and to kind of prove a point, and um, I think I did. I did really, really well for someone who's coming off the couch who owns a bike shop. Um, but in the meantime, I, uh, I kind of discovered that racing isn't where my passion is anymore. I just want to give bikes away and like do cool stuff with bikes. So get more people on bikes and make the bike industry more inclusive um, and more accessible. So that's hence the bike coop. What keeps you, I, I imagine owning a bike shop and co-op is a lot of work. What keeps you motivated in the, the harder times? Spite? No, um, it's, a. Uh, it's, so when I was racing, I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of opinions. I was really outspoken about the ways that I thought the bike industry could be better. And, um, it's part of the reason why I bought a bike shop is because it was then an opportunity to, um, walk the walk instead of just, you know, saying criticisms and to prove that it could actually be done, to prove that the things that I had been talking about for you know, almost 15 years could actually be incorporated into the bike industry, that we could build community and create a more inclusive space um, that was accessible to people who weren't just able-bodied white dudes. Um, no offense. But it, uh, and it's, I mean, thus far, it's actually, it's been interesting with COVID because you, you know, everybody kind of had to adapt, but um, that's the whole point. That's why I loved downhill is because the, the forced adaptation to different tracks, different weather conditions, I mean, different challenges and injuries is it's one of the things that I loved. And so owning a bike shop and running a bike co-op is kind of the same thing from day to day. You know, it, no, it doesn't really ever get boring. It, get, it gets exhausting, but not boring. How so, big of a staff do you have for your um, There are currently three of us. Wow, so that's uh, not, a, not a whole lot of support. So does a lot of it fall on you then, the, the day to day? Um, yeah, the day to day. We have, we have a couple of part-time um, staff members and then we have uh, you know my boyfriend who pretty much works for free and uh, yeah you know some drop-in we have just some folks who drop in from time to time and help out and that's really nice um, but as far as like full-time staff we have three people and it's yeah it is stressful but we have a really amazing team here and even though like you know 
my name's on the door kind of a thing. It's a, those guys make it so that I can actually like get paperwork done and do, you know, ordering and receiving. And there's no way that, you know, no man's an island. And there's no way that any of this would, would be possible or any of this would have been possible this year without my team. So I'm, yeah, Andrew and Simon have been absolutely fantastic. What was your dream job growing up? Um, or career? I didn't really have a dream job. I, uh, I wanted to be some, like part, like uh, multiple things. I wanted to be, you know, be an astronaut and a brain surgeon, and um, I want to be a lot of things. And so, over the course of my life, you know, my adult career, I've been able, I've been lucky enough to um, do a little bit of everything, and that's been fun. So I'm here um, driving through to interview folks about distracted driving. So I'm, uh, you mentioned when I came in that you recently had a an incident with a distracted driver. Can you tell me about your that, that experience and your experience generally with uh, distracted driving? Um, so recently, well, it depends on how recent. So two years ago, so November 9th, 2020, um, we were sideswiped driving up the canyon on I-40 here um, in my truck, and we hit the center median and almost flipped. We were going 75 or 80 miles an hour, and my... If you've ever seen a Hot Wheels car when its axles break, um, a distracted driver, and unfortunately that driver drove uh, drove off, and they didn't catch him. But there were a couple of witnesses to that crash, um, and one of them was a professional race car driver. So his testimony helped um, the insurance company take How care of us, but the damage was pretty extensive. Did you know for a fact that they were distracted? How did you know? So the so I because I was in the passenger seat during that crash, um, I saw. The, and it was a tiny two-door BMW, um, and it had just started drifting into our lane, and he was just looking at his phone. Um, just to, and I mean, it was, it, and I was just like, he's gonna stop, he's gonna stop, and then I was like, holy, you know, and I, and I yelled, and my boyfriend realized how close he was, and he, I mean, he clipped his mirror on the edge of the car, and it was, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how fast it came, and if my, you know, if Mark hadn't swerved, he would have, we would have, killed that guy we would have absolutely just because it's a you know it's a chevy tahoe on a truck frame it's not gonna it's a tank luckily for us um it's it makes it safe but it's also you know there's a bit of a there's a much larger responsibility when it comes to responsible driving or careful driving and um i pride myself on you know being a driver and the other night on so on saturday night um less than two years after <laughs> getting my truck back and that so the other, the first crash cost, it took about six months to repair the truck because um, it broke both axles and all that. And then, um, so I got it back in May of 2021. And then um, Saturday night, my boyfriend was driving again. He's this Saturday? This Saturday, like uh, three days ago, four days ago. Uh, my boyfriend was driving and he, apparently he has the worst luck ever. Um, but a driver ran a stop sign and totaled the front of my truck. And his own car, I mean his, you know, he had like a two-door Toyota something and his tr his car was absolutely done, but. And was that driver also distracted or just didn't pay attention to the stop sign? Um, he didn't even slow down. So there are skid marks on the road where my boyfriend saw him coming and hit the brakes and kind of swerved and that the driver of the other car didn't even, he didn't even slow down for the stop sign. 
So I don't know if he was distracted. Um, he wasn't under the influence of anything. Um, and it just was, yeah. What have these experiences, and maybe you have additional experiences as a cyclist with distracted drivers, but what have the what has your experience um, done to influence your approach to driving and your use of your phone in your car? Um, so I've had a couple of friends and then loved ones of close friends who have been um, hit and killed by distracted drivers. Um, and then I've, I've been hit by a car three times while on a bike. And then more than once, um, almost, you know, everybody's had a close call. If you ride at all on the street or around car, you know, around where cars drive, you, it's, it's not kind of, it's not an if, and I wish it were, but it, it's a when. Um, and so it tends to be a, it tends to be something that as a cyclist, I've seen enough of my friends hurt or killed um, and had enough, you know, and have had bikes destroyed and um, have had enough close calls where when I'm in, when I'm in the car, my phone gets put on silent. You know, Apple has driving mode. Um, my, you know, my phone gets put on silent. It goes face down in the center console. And when I stop, I'll pick it up. But other than that, it's just, it's too, the risks are too high. Like the, the, the stakes are too high. These are people's lives. And it's, you know, and I see, I, I see bikes come in here all the time of people. We had a friend who has a giant zipper scar from his collarbone to his pelvis, who was um, run down by a car last year who didn't like the fact that he um, didn't, that he got, that he took a left-hand turn through a stop site without signaling with his hands. And so the car followed him and ran him down. He ended up at UNM and his buddies brought his bike in. And he came and visited us months later when he got out of the hospital. And it was something that we see here all the time, you know, bent forks and damaged frames. But when, and we, we, we unfortunately get to see the mechanical side of that. But then you see the physical side and you see what it does to humans and what a what a car or even another you know what are what a motorcycle can do to a cyclist it's um it's really sobering and you start you have to pay attention you start paying attention if if i don't know i think that if you see all of that if you if you could see all of that and then you don't pay attention you might be a psychopath but well so i i think there's so many people in this country who just it's they're so far removed from the risk because they don't have any experience anywhere near or anywhere near as much experience as you do or you know any cyclist mm -hmm. who's on the road um, and a lot of people just think they're invincible and it'll never happen so they just continue to use their phone what would you say to um, you know the average American who is a victim to using their phone the you know the distractions that they get while they're driving and continue to um, you know make that a risk for other users of the road um quite frankly you have a responsibility you and it's i think that a lot of people in in the u.s in particular um i think that a lot of people go on autopilot when they get into their cars um, they don't know how to be alone they don't know how to not constantly be entertained and driving can be boring um but it's supposed to be you're operating a multi-thousand pound motorized piece of metal like it should be boring it's not, humans don't have an, like, an entitlement to entertainment. We don't deserve this constant stimuli. And I think that there is a, a seriously 
a, a pretty serious cultural misconception about how we need to be entertained and stimulated all the time. Um, and that leads to a lot of the, like the squirrel behavior inside of a car. You know, when we're waiting at a stoplight, oh, we pick up our phone. You know, when you're driving down the freeway, you're like, oh, there's nobody around, but you're still a risk. Like, there might not be anybody around you in that lane at that time, but there's still, you know, oncoming traffic. There's still, there's still you in that vehicle. And you, people have a responsibility to be careful, to pay attention. And I think that we don't, as a country, we also don't enforce traffic laws as much as we should. I mean, I could go on and on about it, but especially here in Albuquerque, people are terrible drivers and we're one of the deadliest, we're one of the deadliest places for cyclists and pedestrians. Um, and you know, it's why we're like the shop, as a shop owner, it kind of gives, gives me the ability to take a more, a more aggressive but appropriate approach because I'm allowed to be a, I'm allowed to be an outspoken advocate. Um, and so it's, it, it, it's definitely enabled me to kind of push on the powers that be and say, hey, I see all of these damaged bikes, I see all these damaged bodies, like, what are you doing to fix this? You know, we talk to pedestrians who walk by, um, and it's, the common denominator is drivers. It's drivers and cars, and it's not just, you know, they call it a car accident, instead of a human-caused car crash. Um, and just kind of the way that we talk about cars and distracted driving and the people who are responsible for the harm of others. Um, I don't think that there's nearly enough, enough accountability for, for that. What do you think's the, uh, the, a, a big step that we could take as a, a country to move us in, in the right direction? See, and that's, I mean, a big step. I think that lowering speed limits is a huge step. Um, and then actually enforcing those lowered speed limits. I think that going back to one lane carways where, um, where cars are required to pay attention, um, I think roundabouts are an excellent solution because research has shown that roundabouts are so effective because they're not stop signs um, and drivers generally slow way down because they know that there's a possibility of other oncoming traffic that's not required to stop and so it equalizes the playing field. Um, and I've seen it happen, you know, just at the street here with cyclists and cars. Yeah, I think that I think the infrastructure and more crosswalks, um, more pedestrian and bicyclist right of ways that give that give um, non motorized traffic the like the legal upper hand. I think that drivers are far more careful um, when crosswalks are enforced. I think that when when traffic laws are enforced drivers suddenly become far more careful. I mean, that's, you know, that's why the industry of uh, radar detectors is so healthy. Just to wrap things up, talk to me about um, your relationship to social media and um, how, it, how, how you have a balance with it, if you do have a balance in your life. Um, I have learned to, it's a lot like alcohol. Um, Social media is a really strained phenomenon. I, different times of my life and career especially, um, because I was an early social media adopter, much like a lot of the elder millennials, I think, um, between, you know, MySpace, early Facebook, um, and then Instagram and Twitter and everything else, I think that moderation is key and um, 
it's it's funny now because I don't have enough time for social media, even to you know promote the business and stuff that we're doing. Um, moderation is definitely key, but so is perspective, like a lot of perspective. What's real? What isn't? Um, who is who's paying someone to say certain things? Um, and it's yeah, social media. It has to be. It has to be healthy, and there has to be a balance, and there has to be perspective, or else it will drive people crazy. I think that that's why a lot of people, I mean, it's, you know, it's showing, research is showing that there are a ton of people who are experiencing more psychological distress than ever before um, when we have the least amount of psychological stressors. And I think that the, the constant, you know, 24-7, oh, everybody's watching you, um, is or the perception that everybody's watching you is really, is uh, really damaging. I think that, yeah. Social media is an interesting one for me because it can, it can provide a really, a truly impactful platform. It can, it can give people the ability to make so much change, um, but it can also greatly harm. It can, it can do immense amount of harm. And I wish, I wish I had known that earlier in my career. I wish that I had taken that into consideration because I was kind of an asshole I've um yeah I think which is you know why when you walked in I was like it depends on who's asking um, <laughs> because yeah there's I've I've I constantly joke about I never know when I'm gonna get punched in the face um by someone who I might have you know I might have uh been not as not as kind as I should have been um so it's 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 definitely an even it's definitely an even mixture, and it's uh, it's got to stay it's got to stay healthy like anything else. Can we uh, just wrap up by having you promise to drive distraction free? Absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's that's been more that's been made more clear to me um, as of late than ever before. So I will I can openly commit, and I would encourage everybody else to uh, not driving distracted. I pledge to put my phone down when I'm behind the wheel and not drive distracted. Sweet. Thank you so much, Amanda. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Amanda. hope you enjoyed it. She offers a really uh, interesting and unique take on um, distracted driving and digital wellness and I think uh, was one of the one of the coolest people to talk to um and and yeah pretty awesome that she was not on my original list so one of those things that just worked out um further proof that when you're doing something that you love and believe in uh doors will open and the path will unfold as it's supposed to so just trust in the process and enjoy it for all that it's worth, no matter the challenges and obstacles that lie in the way. So until next time, which will be in two weeks with Steve Mathis, who is our first media person. Um, He is another interesting fella, so that'll be a good one. Um, Until then, remember to drive distraction-free. Please, if you don't know how to enable driving focus on your phone so that you don't get any of those pesky notifications that tempt you to take your eyes off the road, head on over to eyesupride.com slash resources to read more about all that good stuff. It's not worth it. Nothing is so important, and you'll be saving not only potentially your own life, but the lives of others. And stay tuned for more updates. Subscribe to the newsletter, eyesuprod.com, and I appreciate your time for listening to this.
and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.